0: a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest
1: when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. <laughs> Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow, or find an awesome template. No judgment.
0: Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a to and friends with some revelation. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. When I asked him if he thought that the musical he wrote for Broadway and which he won a Tony award for would be the success that it is, he said this, everything about this show was unexpected. We thought it would be like a small little musical if we were lucky. It's about a 17 year old boy who lies about another kid's death. Oh, and we also told the producers, it will be funny. Well, he was wrong. It was not a small little musical. It has gone on to be a sensational global success. Welcome, dear Evan Hansen author Stephen Levinson, to the podcast A-O-K. Hey, everyone. My guest today is the Tony Award-winning playwright, Stephen Levinson. Stephen won said Tony Award for Dear Evan Hansen. Other plays include Days of Rage, If I Forget, The Unavoidable Disappearance of Tom Dernan, Seven Minutes in Heaven, and The Language of Trees. For television, he wrote for three seasons on Masters of Sex. Other upcoming projects include the limited series for FX, Fosse Verdon starring Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams, and the Jonathan Larson film adaptation of Tick, Tick, Boom. Welcome, Steven Levinson, to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here.
0: This is amazing. I also just have to say, in doing a deep dive into you (laughs) and your life recently to prepare for this, I feel like you have become part of the cabinet because the last <laughs> credits that I read, it's like Tommy Kale, Lynn Manuel Miranda, yeah. Andy Blank Mueller. So there's a lot of stuff going on with that crew yeah. now.
1: Yeah, it's true. I've been um I've been so fortunate to be uh, to be able to work with those guys. And yeah, it's just been it's been a really great few years.
0: We'll get into Days of Rage, which I just got to see and it's just so timely and incredible. And obviously Dear Evan Hansen is a hit. (laughs) I'm not sure you're aware. (laughs) Maybe nobody told you that it's going well.
1: Yeah, it's going, yes.
0: But now you're doing a lot of work for the screen. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. Um, So if we start today and then work backwards, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know if you were at your desk writing this morning before you came here. I
1: was, yes. What
0: was in front of you this morning?
1: Um, Fosse Verdon was in front of me this morning. Yes, that's the thing that's that's on my plate right now.
0: And how many episodes are you guys looking to? It's going to be
1: an eight episode series.
0: Oh um, my god!
1: Yeah, so it's really exciting, and we are actually we started shooting two weeks ago. It's all kind of it, it actually the the day we started shooting was also the day that Days of Rage opened. So it was like a, a crazy confluence of things. Wow! Um, the last few months have been kind of nuts. Yes, uh, <laughs> I can <laughs> never leave. plan You're here for here right these now. things, right. but. Uh, yeah, Thank so, you for
0: not canceling. Yeah, you would have no, had of
1: course. Every right to.
0: <laughs> okay, so this Fossey Verdin project mm-hmm. is based on a book. Yes. Written by Sam Wasson, who was obsessed with them because. Yes.
1: Well, he wrote a book a few years ago called Fossey, um, that was about Bob Fossey, and what ended up happening was Sam Wasson, the biographer went to college with Lynn, Manuel Miranda. They went to Wesleyan together. And Sam's book got optioned by FX to make a TV series out of um and he wrote Lynn and said, you know, I, I don't know if you'd be interested, do you want to come on as a producer on the show? And Lynn loved the book. It's a terrific book uh, for people that haven't read it. Um and Lynn was excited about, you know, doing whatever he could. Um, to help out, Um, and he happened to be getting, he he happened to receive that email, I guess, in his dressing room with Tommy Kale right there, Um, and Tommy uh, was really intrigued and interested as well, and, and wondered, you know, sort of put his hat in the ring to direct it, and that's how that began, and then a few months later, I met Tommy, I guess this was almost two years ago, and we started talking about different things we were working on, and he brought this, you know, this idea up, and I was just you know, I, I kind of begged to, to to write it, and I just, uh, I devoured the book in a few days, and I just, you know, we began working on it then, and and as it evolved, it kind of became more and more the story of not just Bob Fossey but also Gwen Burton, his okay. wife and collaborator, and we started to realize that there was a really interesting untold story there. Um, we're so used to the story of the the kind of the male genius in our culture who, you know, who is the author of all things and just this brilliant mind that created everything out of nothing. And in fact, this is a story really about two people um, and one of one of whom has gotten the lion's share of the recognition. Mm. And interestingly, you know, Gwen Verdon was once one of the most famous people in the country. She was I think she won five Tony Awards and she was in a bunch of movies, but she kind of got forgotten. Um, so, when his
0: star sort of began yeah, to eclipse uh-huh. hers or was it did she have a kid and suddenly that', that was changed part of it her Yes that professional... was part of it. Yeah uh,
1: she had they had a child together and then you know they just had this fascinating story. They were married in um, 1960, but they basically they never got divorced and he ended up dying in her arms. But through those years together, there was a lot of um, ups and downs and a lot of... They created incredible work together and they also kind of destroyed themselves and one another. So it's a really rich, uh, fascinating story.
0: And for someone listening, the two people on the planet who don't know who Bob Fosse yeah. or why Bob Fosse is someone that eight episodes of a TV yeah, of series course. are being dedicated to, who is he yep. and why Why do we all know him? Totally.
1: Bob Fosse began as a dancer And uh, became a choreographer first on Broadway. Uh, His first big show was Pajama Game. And then he did Damn Yankees. Uh, And then he became a director of stage and film. Um, And he did uh, movies like Cabaret, um, later All That Jazz. And he was this fascinating, dark figure who created work. Um, You know, I think some of his more famous stage projects were Pippin, Mm -hmm. which he choreographed and directed and Chicago, of course. Um, And his work is incredibly uh, twisted and and strange and filled with things that you don't expect to see in a Broadway musical right
0: like the language of his choreography. Yeah. I mean it's it's he developed an entire language yes. and we and we reference it today yes. and Fosse, you know, totally and people the, know it from yeah.
1: um beyond like music Hans videos or, right. and you know Michael Jackson, so much of Michael Jackson's physical vocabulary is just Bob Fosse. And so so his legacy lives on. But he's also, you know, when you actually dig into his biography, he he was a very tortured individual um, from the very beginning, and, and his pain and his suffering is what went into the art, um, but, but it's also, we're living in a moment right now where, you know, this idea of these men, uh, these great giant men who suffer and um, inflict pain, especially on the women in their lives, um, but somehow create these works of beauty we're kind of interrogating that story in a new sure, way you know sure. we, we're not there there's a very old familiar story of the male genius and whatever whatever the means were to get to these wonderful works of art you know it's worth it because look at what they made and and we're kind of not taking that tack we're, we're right. really interested like look in, at all
0: the roadkill sort yeah, of along exactly. the way and, yes. and there's quite a balancing yes, act totally. to decide that um, yeah
1: exactly so it, it feels like it's a moment where it's 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 scary to tell a story like this and also kind of necessary to tell a story of, you know, how this kind of behavior was allowed. You know, he's somebody who really did abuse his power mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And at the time, in the 60s and 70s and even 80s, it wasn't really considered an abuse of power. It was considered the way Status things were done. Quo. Yeah. So, so it's interesting to look back and try to understand why that was. And also just his work, uh, radically transformed musical theater, and also film. The, the way music videos developed, the way musicals on film developed, there it's all in Bob Fosse's work. And in terms of stage, I mean, he put images up there and ideas up there that were otherwise not really, you know, he, he made musical comedy something interesting and dark and twisted and filled with ideas and sex and violence. In a way that, you know, was was taboo at the time.
0: So Lynn and you and Tommy yep. are working together. Mm-hmm. Is Tommy directing every episode?
1: Tommy is directing the first two. OK. I think he's directing five altogether of eight, um, which is a lot. Um, yeah. And uh, for a second, it was four. I think it's going to be five now um, as, as we're kind of hammering things out. Um, but but he and I, you know, were developing the idea for a really long time. So he's been part of mm-hmm. that process for a really a very long time.
0: And now I know Lin was brought on as a producer mm-hmm. because that from the very beginning, he's been yeah. part of the project. Is he a hands-on day-to-day person on this project? Or? He's a
1: little bit less. I mean, he's so busy with a million other things. You know, yeah. He kind of comes he's in. He's kind of busy. Yes, he's a little, <laughs> apparently, I'm told. <laughs> um, but he's been instrumental in... Um, You know, he comes in and and has a fresh eye on things and is looking at things in a way that we're not because we're so deep in it. We're also working with Joel Fields, who's another executive producer on the show. Yes, from the Americans, who also happened to write rewrite the book for the musical Can-Can a few years ago. <laughs> That's so which Can-Can was the musical that made Gwen Verdon a star. So That's so great. It's this weird... Um, so just, did FX
0: go to him or did he... Yes, yes. Okay, FX went sense. to him, but
1: they didn't know that That's whole Gwen so Verdon part. so serendipitous So it's been a really, it's been a great experience. And Andy Blankenbuehler is doing the choreography for it. And Alex Lacamoire doing the music. So it's been it's been great. It's okay. like it's an amazing, That's amazing. And, and we sit around and geek out about Pippin together. And, yes. You know it's a really <laughs> My first uh,
0: dog's name, just I mean little disclosure. known fact. Full yeah. disclosure, <laughs> that is how much I love Pippin. And then Tick Tick Boom. Yeah. Which is Lynn's film directorial yeah. debut. Mm-hmm. Where is that in the process right now? That is,
1: I've written a draft of it. Um, do you, and can you show it
0: to me? Yes, here it is. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> Russell, yes, Russell. Yes, yes,
1: yes. Um, <laughs> no, so I've written a, a, a first draft of it and, you know, there are, we have ideas of, of what we want to do with it next and how we're going to develop it, but it's sort of, you know, right now it's it's in a good place, and I'm really excited about where it is, and it's sort of figuring out, you know, when in Lynn's schedule it might work. So there's uh, not
0: a, st- a first day of...
1: No, there is not. There is not. Principal photography. Um, no. I mean, what I'm glad about is there is something on my computer that is saved mm-hmm. that has a lot of there's pages. There's a folder. <laughs> yes. So, like, that's that's when I can breathe a little bit easier. What does um, your
0: desktop of your computer look like right now?
1: My desktop is really Clean, but the documents folders is, is kind of a mess. Okay, and, once, and the downloads folder. I'm very. I'm realizing how disorganized I am in terms of files. Okay, um, and with TV, it's it's a real problem because you you, you constantly have drafts. Like you, you know, you're working on the next draft, and and if you're not working in the right file, I mean, this is such the boring minutia of my life. That's and okay. Yet... We can
0: totally edit it out. <laughs> But I'm fascinated. Yes,
1: But so I'm trying to stay on top of it. I'm trying to be better organized. Okay. Because I'm just not used to this level of... Um, I'm used to one thing. Right. But like eight scripts, it just it becomes a mess.
0: Well, let's talk about that because you, until m- more recent history, were living in the world of theater for yeah. a very long time. Well,
1: the weird thing is, so I guess in 2011...
0: Don't I'm, make me do any math. No,
1: I won't. So seven years ago, <laughs> I, I both started working on um, Dear Evan Hansen. I met Benj and Justin. And we started working on that. And like two months after saying um, I wanted to do it with them and we started working, I got my first job in TV. Um, and so I, I was in L.A., for, so,
0: master the writers' room for master yeah, sex. Was this there. was
1: actually even a different show. This was oh. a show called the Playboy Club. Yes, which was very short lived. Yes, um, I think Laura Benanti. Yes, Laura Benanti was in we've it.
0: we laughed and loved over that show yes. a lot. Oh,
1: good. Yeah. So that was a. I mean, it was a really fun first experience. Um, is John
0: Bezetti your agent? Yes. So was there this moment where he, you guys, started going after that? Like, I want to do this now.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? What really happened is I. I switched agents to John Bazzetti okay. and part of my reasoning was I really wanted to work on TV and I really and I wanted to do musicals. Those were like the two things I really wanted to do. And then I did I got both of those things at the same time. So That's that was amazing.
0: Extraordinary. Yes. So let's go back. First of all, your love of theater, of watching things that move us, mm-hmm. whatever. Screen stage, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you were really interested in all of it. Many people that I talked to, if they are no longer actors, they did start out that mm-hmm. way. Were you a performer? I
1: was, yes. Okay. I started off, um, my first role was Ed Sullivan in Bye Bye Birdie in sixth grade. So I acted throughout high school and into college. And um, for a long time in college, I, that's what I thought I was going to pursue. I, I loved acting. Um, and then
0: did you go to Brown yes. as an actor?
1: I went to Brown, yes. Well, I like with that I, in mind? I did, I was, but I was always really ambivalent about it. I I remember Why? I don't know. I you know what I I felt like I was scared of it, first of all. I was really scared at the idea of
0: like saying uh, it out loud?
1: No, like constant rejection and just the life of it. So I decided to become terrible. a playwright, which is filled with <laughs> acceptance and love. Um oops. Uh, no i am um, so
0: far so good yeah
1: well thanks but um yeah no uh i you know what i think i i just felt like i loved acting and I, I sort of always felt this urge i felt like i wanted to create something more like i didn't just want to interpret uh work i wanted to create it which is not to say that that's what actors do is just interpret but but i was you know i was i wrote at the time i'd never written a play but i was Writing poetry in high some, school, yeah, and some stories, and I just felt this urge to be a writer. From and did a very you have teachers
0: saying to you, "You've got, you've got a gift as a writer"? Yeah. Well, what, notice what that? happened
1: in 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 college is I went to um, the the kind of turning point for me was I spent a summer at Williamstown Theater Festival as an apprentice.
0: Before school or during school?
1: This was in the middle. It was between sophomore and junior year of college. Okay, um, and it was sort of. You know, I I I went because I wanted to be an actor, and in being there and spending time around professional actors um, and just immersed in that world, um, I started to what I started to really pay attention to was the new plays that were happening there, Um, and I saw Sarah Rules play Eurydice there in this tiny little production with non-equity actors who were you know Steve Kazee was one of the non-equity actors and. That's the cool thing about going there. You see all of these people, you know, and I just felt like, oh, I want to do that. You know, I'd never seen that before, but I felt like, oh, that's that's the thing I want to do. And I went back to school in the fall and I took um, writing for the Uh first time, playwriting. Um, So Sarah's and
0: watching Sarah Rules play in some way was really—it
1: was huge for me. It it just felt like I don't know. I didn't know that plays could do that. I feel like there is kind of a poverty. Um, not to be too dramatic about it, but in high school and college education in terms of new playwriting. Hmm. Like, I thought the last kind of new playwright was Sam Shepard or David Mamet. That was, like, the most recent writer I was reading. You know what I mean? Plays that had been written 20 years ago. Yes. It was, like... At some point, they must have stopped writing plays. Right. And
0: though they hold up, <laughs> yes. there are other... And then yes. Tony Kushner came along, and there yes. are other Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I didn't know about but, right. Tony
1: Kushner until I was in college. like, Yeah, I, I,
0: absolutely. And I felt like I had
1: a pretty good education. I just didn't... These things didn't come up for some reason. So I went back to school, and I, I took this writing class, and I just really fell in love. And I, and I had a series of teachers who basically encouraged me and pushed me and told me. And, and finally, Paula Vogel was my teacher, senior year of college. And she's the one who told me, it was right before I was going to graduate, and uh, in her class, the, the last thing you, you you did was you went out to coffee with Paula and kind of talked about the semester. And she said, what is your plan? What are you doing after this? And I was like, I don't know. I guess I'm going to move to New York. And she said, I, if you want to do this, I really believe that you can do it. Wow. And that was... Um, wow. Yeah. And it was... Uh, Paula? Yes. You were right. <laughs> well, it was truly, you know, it was one of those moments and I knew it at the time. It was just, it was so profound, and it sustained me for at least the next two years of right. not knowing of not, what I was of doing, not you know, making a living yes. at all yeah, yeah, yeah. as a playwright. Yeah, but that was the thing in the back of my head was like Paula Vogel told me, um, so <laughs> it out. must be true.
0: Hi, William Morris. Yes, my exactly. Steven. I have a letter from Paula yes, exactly. Vogel. <laughs> no, I, she said. Hold on. She I'll told her. me. She
1: said. Yes, but um, she did. But she did, and and it was. Um, yeah, so I I came to New York and I um I lucked into this. I basically I was temping and I was doing two days a week. I was doing an internship at Playwrights Horizons in the literary department.
0: Who was running it at the Lisa time. Timmel, uh huh?
1: And it was an amazing education. But w- what ended up happening was Lisa left. Um, and did she? Hmm. Yes, <laughs> she left to go to Huntington. Okay. Or, or at the time she was she was going to work for a producer. But okay. a- anyway.
0: She She mysteriously disappeared. She did. Yes,
1: exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Suddenly. I don't um, know. But what ended up happening was out of desperation, they gave me a full-time job as an assistant there. And so I worked there for about two years with with Adam Greenfield then took over. And does that
0: mean you're reading play after submission after submission? Yeah, I was
1: reading two plays a day usually and writing coverage, which is, you know, basically a, a full page. Like one paragraph was a summary of the play and one paragraph was my analysis. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and would you get to recommend sort of the, yeah, going to the next level? Yes, of... totally.
1: My job was to say, you know, Adam, read. Or, yeah, basically like who should read it next. Sure. Um, or, you know, why it wasn't necessarily right for the theater. Um,
0: and at any point, did you take a play that you had <laughs> written <laughs> And go, like, no, I was Steven too Weinberg. terrified.
1: I was too terrified of what the response would be. <laughs>
0: I'm not a writer. Yes. No. No. Exa- yeah.
1: I mean, and they knew I was a so writer. Weird. It's such a strange, it's
0: awful. And it's I was awful. there with um
1: my boss, like my the literary associate at the time. I think that was her title. Was Carly Mench, who was also a playwright, who's now she's one of the creators of the show Glow on Netflix. But she was like my boss, um, and for a, for a while there, before Adam got there. There was this like four months where it was just the two of us. I was 22. Crazy. She was probably 24, <laughs> and, and we were running, were running, running the, New York the literary department of Lyrics Horizons. And then at, every once in a while, Tim Sanford, the artistic director, I just I have this very distinct memory of him walking around the corner, coming toward our office as if to ask for an opinion or to voice something, seeing us there and turning around <laughs> and going back to his office.
0: Sorry. Nothing to see. <laughs> yeah, here. exactly. It was like. Well, here's the great news. I just saw a play at Playwrights Horizon. So the two of you did not break down. Yes, its no, reputation. it's still there. It is still
1: there. <laughs> it's um, history. It's really it's great. It's Very active yes, theater. Yes, it is. It's
0: a beautiful theater. Yes, it is. And nothing bad happened.
1: Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, um, under
0: your uh, <laughs> yeah, tenure. but it was
1: that was a that was an amazing experience. I always tell young writers if they have a chance to do something like that to read, um, and also, I mean, I think I learned maybe my first or second day there. I remember Lisa saying to me, "Nobody cares about your opinion," and that was actually it was kind of a shocking thing to hear. And what she meant was, um, my job as a reader wasn't to read the play and say, "Well, I didn't like it" or "I thought it was stupid." It was to say, "Here's what the playwright was trying to do." Right. I think the playwright wanted to do X. He or she accomplished it or didn't, and here's why.
0: So not this isn't my jam, or yeah, I love totally. it. Totally, it's it not my cup me. of tea. It's
1: like right. that's not your job. That your job, um, and I've tr- I've tried to hold that, huh. you know, as a way of approaching all art is kind of well, what did what did the writer or artist want to do, and and how successful was he or she? Instead of what are my, here's the play I would have written. Yeah. Why didn't she write that play? That's not you know.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, and, and reviewing has sort of stopped being that right actually. it's, it's, it's not really, really thumbs personal. up or thumbs
1: down it's, it's yeah. i mean i think good criticism should be engaging with the work and and seeing how it succeeds or fails on its own mm-hmm. terms you know so yeah
0: well you very quickly and it may probably didn't feel like that at the time <laughs> but if if history when history looks back at your career and your professional life a lot happened really quickly yeah. for you, certainly once you were aligned with Dear Evan Hansen. Yes. But before that, you started to have your plays done yeah. in New York. Mm-hmm. So who was the first person who read one of your plays and said, I would like to do this in my theater?
1: Robin Goodman was really the first um, who read. My last gasp as an actor mm-hmm. was I was when I moved to New York, I guess right before I moved to New York, there was a summer theater program at Brown. Where playwrights it had ju- this was the first year actually, and alumni playwrights came and brought plays and cast either students at Brown or recent graduates like me to premiere these plays okay. um and full length plays. yes, and I was in um Stephen Caram's play, Speech and Debate. He was developing there. and so
0: wait, did you go to school with Steven? or didn't different different we times. were different times. Okay. But so
1: he so we had we had not crossed paths until then. but so I was in this production of of his play. Subsequently, I did a bunch of readings in New York of his play, um,
0: of his play, yeah,
1: which is so strange now. Yeah. Uh, like every few months, he would call and be like, "This theater wants to do a play." So I, I met all of these people who don't remember me and
0: like who, like, who are you? Thinking you know, of when I'm you thinking say
1: that? of. I'm sure that Carol Rothman. I think we did a reading at Second mm-hmm. Stage. I forget where else we did readings, but I feel like I met, you know, all of these people as a as an actor okay. in these readings, and then when the play happened. At Roundabout, was going to be the first play that they did at Roundabout Underground, which Robin and Todd Hames were starting. Um, and so I went into audition for this play, and I was already sort of like, I don't even know. It, it gave me this huge, you know, identity crisis because I was already kind of set on the fact that I was going to be a writer.
0: Was that the first time you were auditioning? In yes, the it's city? the only time, time I. You
1: know what? I auditioned twice. Okay. I auditioned once for that, and then once I was in Youngblood, the writers group. Um, and Amy Herzog had a 10 minute play that I think I had read as part of the group, right. And she I, I came in to read for that role as well. You I know, didn't I get mean, cast in either. I by think the way. <laughs>
0: everyone tell their most embarrassing audition stories. Are either of these um, haunting? No.
1: No actually didn't. because well, well what what ended up happening with with speech and debate right. um, was I I came in, I read for the role, and I didn't get it. And um, who got it? Jason Fuchs. Not that I remember exactly who it was. Um, uh, a
0: little, yeah, exactly. I just want to say that that when Stephen's assistant and I set this up, he said the only thing is if Jason Fuchs has ever been on the show, Stephen will not exactly. come on than Exactly. It's a small that,
1: condition, but it's, you know. Other
0: than that, no yes, green MMs. Exactly. He wasn't very yeah, I'm not fussy. high maintenance, um, but there was that. Yes, just yes. weird. I don't know.
1: So, so yes. So Jason Fuchs <laughs> was in it, but Robin Goodman who produced it, said, you know, I don't want to cast this kid in my play, but I understand he's a writer. I'll, I'll read his play. Um, what? She she agreed that she would like read my play. Why? Because um, she's a nice person. I, I know, guess She but... felt bad. Um, and one of her... Because she knew you had done all the readings? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And she worked such a small, weird world. But she... There was a, a, a woman named Erica Rotstein, who's now a producer in her in her own right, mm-hmm. who worked... She was Todd's assistant at the time, and I think she had told Robin that I had this play. Or maybe Stephen Karam. It was probably Stephen. It was both. Anyway, Robin read my play and really liked it. It was called The Language of Trees. Mm -hmm. It was something I wrote my senior year of college, or started then. And I, again, it's one of these moments I'll never forget, was this meeting I had with Robin um, and Jill Rafson, who uh, is now... I forget her title, but she was the head of the literary department at the time, um, and Josh Fiddler, who was uh, Robin's associate. And we sat down and talked about the play, and Robin said, you know, we want to produce your work sometime (laughs) at Roundabout. Like, at some point, you're going to have a play at Roundabout. And that was a stunning, unbelievable idea. And and then I went back to work, and I just sort of (laughs) tucked that away. And then I kept working on that play, and... And ultimately, I then got a phone call from Robin saying, we want to do the play next year at, at the Underground.
0: And did you have an agent yet at that point? I did.
1: I had an agent. But but you know what? I got an agent through that, through through the readings. They, they okay. did a couple readings of my play. So and through that process. I thought like, well, now I have it made. I've had readings at a theater. <laughs> readings like, I have an agent. Who doesn't want...
0: Like getting an agent as a writer, was there someone in your life kind of mentoring? Or did you have a sense when you left Brown... Did you have some skill set or or understanding, like, I need to get my plays into the offices of literary people? And did you know how to do that?
1: No. Okay. I, I learned how you to do that at Playwrights Horizons, I think, because I saw, I was sort of the office. Right. So I saw how that right. worked. Right.
0: Of course. Of course. And, and then
1: I was surrounded. One of the amazing things about New York for young writers is there are so many resources, um, and there didn't used to be, but but... You know, I, I was part of this group, Young Blood, as I mentioned, and then I was part of this group at Ars Nova called Play Group, um, and that was really foundational for me. That was a chance to be with other writers who were, you know, my peers, and and not only be a part of you know hearing their work and and them hearing my work and talking about it, but it was just kind of the chatter. You know, you would figure out like who's doing what and right. And also share a lot of angst and, you know.
0: Is your community socially mm-hmm. a community of writers?
1: Yeah, I think to a large extent. I mean, those people are so, they are the the people that when I, I think of people like, you know, Amy Herzog, mm-hmm. uh, Becca Brunstetter, a lot of them are in L.A. now. I mean, there was kind of a weird Carly. Um, like everyone got scooped up for Yes, Liz Flayhive. Yeah. yeah, like half of us are in L.A., half yeah. of us are here. But, yeah, I think of those people as as my peers and uh the people whose work that i I love seeing and it's, right, yeah, it's been kind of incredible,
0: so I would be remiss to not spend a little time on Dear Evan Hansen because you know the way I remember seeing certain pieces of theater as a kid for my kid, dear Evan Hansen will be their mm. first theater memory, which is so huge when you think yeah. about it. Ben had played my son. In a play two summers before you guys started uh, workshopping it and then going to DC with it. Wow. Um, and so over the years, he would come over and we got to hear little pieces <laughs> of songs from the. Right, you know, right, he wasn't right. coming over and doing monologues. He yes, was coming yeah, yeah, over yeah, and on his phone, was music, and he'd sit at the piano and sing for us. And so we had this incredibly unique gift of being this much inside yeah. the process from one of the actors right, right. in the story. But... We never talked about sort of what it was for you and Benj and Paul to kind of begin together, mm-hmm. and and I can't pretend I'm the first person who's ever <laughs> interviewed you. So there there is knowledge that Stacy Mindich was a producer, yeah, that she was a fan of those guys, mm-hmm. that she said what do you guys want to do. Is there a story? And they talked about a, a, a death when Paul right, was in right. high school, yep. but but what's lesser known is sort of out of all the writers on the planet. Um, <laughs> How Stephen Levinson became the librettist or the book writer for this <laughs> mm-hmm. show, and so were you friends with Benjamin Paul? Did you know Stacey as a producer? How did this marriage of such incredible serendipity for all of us yeah. come together?
1: Yeah, it was. You know, no, I didn't know them at all, and and in fact, it was so. In working on the show with them, I realized, even though we were all working in theater, our worlds did not. Yeah, at all. Like we knew all different people. It was so strange. Different actors, different directors. But what happened was we'd both heard a lot about one another from different people. So uh, they were reading all of these plays and they liked my plays. And I know one of the people that recommended me to them was Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, Uh who was in Ars Nova Playgroup with me and was friends with Benj. Uh,
0: so it's not like an agent thing where, like, Stacy's reaching out to agents yeah. or, or is that part no, of it, No, I too, mean, well, or? part of
1: it was we did have the same—Bazzetti was their agent at mm-hmm. the time. And so that was like—but at that point, they had already read my stuff. And that okay. was sort of a, just a confluence of things. Great. Alex Timbers, mm-hmm. who directed my first play, told them about me and me about them. And so so there were a, a bunch of different voices in, in everybody's okay. ears. Okay, that's great. Um, and then we met um, Stacy— brought us all together and we had this lunch together somewhere on 46th Street and I can never remember. But it was what delicious. The was. It was <laughs> delicious. And they told me about this sort of idea that they had. You know, it was like Stacy was there and Wendy Orshan, who was the general manager, and then the grown ups left. And it was the three of us. How old are you um, guys
0: at the time that this is happening? And are you all around the same age?
1: Yeah. I was twenty seven. Twenty and they were a year younger, and yeah. So so they had this idea um, about it was Benj actually in his high school. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, uh, a student died of a drug overdose, and it was sort of a. They were really fascinated by this reaction that it caused in the school of people that didn't really know him, kind of glomming onto this tragedy and and wanting to be a part of it, and so that that was kind of the beginning of this idea and. I really had no idea what I was talking about, and I'd never written a musical. I really right. didn't know.
0: but you loved But them. I,
1: I loved them, and I was intrigued by the idea, and so I immediately...
0: You're like, I wasn't you know, pipping. I was like, yeah, I know do how I, to do this. I, I got you.
1: Uh, yeah, so I sort of, you know, pitched my face off, and yeah. um, somehow they, yeah, we, we decided, you know, they liked me, and so we decided to start talking together about this thing, and it was m- many, many years of development.
0: And did Dear Evan Hansen, the play, sort of get written before Dear Evan Hansen, the musical? or Yeah. Did they, like how... Well,
1: what happened was it, it was an interesting experience because unlike other musicals, a lot, a lot of musicals, which, again, this was... I, so many of these things came out of inexperience, and sure. that was the reason we weren't scared of it. Right. You know, like the idea of writing an original musical should have daunted me, but because I'd written plays... I was like, well, everything I write is original. This, How is right. this any different? Right.
0: I'm not rewriting But it's a lot yet. different,
1: it turns out. Uh, but one of the differences is. But have you, know, you even
0: collaborated before? Or no, have you always no, I mean, Even collaborate. No. You know, it's marriage yes. is hard. It's all yes. hard. It's all hard. Yes. Because yes. I'm hard. right. Trust yes, me. Yes.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's all hard. I'm a middle child. So mm. compromise comes quickly to me. Right. Or you're Switzerland. You're yes. A, you're totally. a very good person yes. to work with. Yeah. So that with. was already kind of, you know, and they had been working together for. So long, since they were 18, and so...
0: Had they had produced... Yes. Well, big... the, you know what they had?
1: That's not totally true. They'd had... Dogfight was a musical that was kind of... Br- like, it, 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 people were talking about it, right. and it was going to happen that. somewhere, but it was unclear where. Right. They were, like, right on the cusp... Yeah. ...of um, hitting it big, it felt like. They had a and lot of irons feel in that the fire.
0: when you were with them? Were you like, "Oh, they're sparkly, I think? Yeah. No, I mean, we all we were all
1: sort of like...
0: They you know, didn't floss. I feel like they didn't floss. No, no, <laughs> no. I
1: felt like we all... I don't know. Looking back...
0: Yeah. I we know. were all
1: very eager and excited and and not... And our expectations were very low. Mm-hmm. You know, like our... Um, you know, when we were first talking about it... Because what happened then was... We didn't realize that this is what we were doing, but we we were really doing was over the next probably six months... Well, then I moved to L.A., which was a whole wrench in the works. For the Playboy Club. For everyone, yes. So what we would do is we would do these marathon weekend work sessions where I would usually fly to New York and we would meet for, like, 30 hours. Not quite that long, but a really long time where we would just throw out ideas and start just kind of banging this thing out, like, as an idea. And kind of what we say now is it was sort of us creating the source material. Mm And that's when we started making decisions, like, this is going to be about a kid who has social anxiety. That came—I mean, all of this came later, like, through many, many hours of of really banging our heads together. And and then what would happen is we would go off. I would kind of type up something in a treatment. You know, I, it all started with this treatment, and I kept revising it, okay. you know, like— Okay,
0: and you have the document.
1: Yes, like, changing the characters, just names, and then—but, like, kind of just going through this document— and then we would meet up again and we would immediately start by throwing out whatever that was. Inevitably. Great. Inevitably it would be, wait, that's terrible. Why did we do that? <laughs> okay. um, so it was it was a lot of that. And then by the time we got to the winter, like December 2011, my show got canceled. So I moved back to New York. Great. Perfect. Um, which worked out really well. Yeah. And we were sort of at this point of like, who's going to jump first? You know, like we could it, it, we could have kept doing that forever mm-hmm. like we, we we could have gone back. And forth. yes exactly yeah. like there comes a point where you somebody has to take the dive and it felt like well why don't I just start and yes write it as if it were a play start writing scenes
0: how did you come up with the name Evan Hansen
1: it's a really good for some reason none of us really remembers that okay. part of it like um I think I forget exactly how we did it
0: I think so in, the names of the characters are not Taken from people you know, no. or a mishmash of names of people you love, or
1: no, but I do agonize over them. Um, and, and some of the characters, like Evan Hansen, was always the name, Heidi was always the name, I think Zoe was always the name, but but Connor's name was Dennis for a long time, and they were the Murphys, not the Morse, or no, they were the Morses, not the Murphys, right? So, so I just basically started writing, and and you know, I would give them scenes. And we would talk a lot about them, and I wrote them knowing that they would be musicalized. Right. So, So even in that early treatment, we talked about, you know, there would be a song here, maybe, mm-hmm. or here, a song at this point so in the So you'd kind of
0: map out the beats. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first time, do you remember the first song you heard that they had written?
1: It may have been what eventually became Waving, which was very different. It was called, um, uh, I'm hearing it in my head, uh, infinite islands but it always it was like the idea was two people on islands that couldn't like that evan felt like he was on an island and was waving yeah but it always ended with maybe across the sea somebody's waving back to me so it was always like there were always like that's kind of the fun thing about writing these things over a long time is yeah like so many pieces just kind of move into the next thing and You can kind of see where ideas, how they evolve. Um, So I think that may have been it. There was also a song called Bedroom Down the Hall, In the Bedroom Down the Hall, that was really early on.
0: About Zoe and Connor? No,
1: it was about, it was the two moms, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you can now hear it online somehow. Mm. People have have found it. I did that. Maybe we record, I forget. Somehow it was. It's uh, all there. Yeah, it's a really beautiful song that just didn't.
0: It didn't uh, work in the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it must have been incredible to have someone create these songs and this music for your play.
1: Yeah, that was an incredible, mind-blowing experience that there's something just so incredible about you have these characters that you know so intimately and you live with and spend time with. And then it's it's like having a child... And not knowing that they speak French. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like you suddenly you go into the room and it's like, oh, my God, he can sing. Yeah. You know, like they or somebody has taken it. It's very similar to the first time you hear actors read your work, Mm -hmm. which is which is also like, oh, wow, that that character in my head is is a real person. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that, Mm -hmm. you know, like I can't believe that they actually are standing up and are three dimensional and singing. It's just it's incredible because it's you. You. Yeah, it's it's a really mind blowing experience. Do you sing? Not really. Not really. Well, it's no.
0: amazing when we see, you know, snippets on YouTube or other interviews, uh, and when, when Pasek and Paul yeah. like they're really great performers yes, too. They are. And yes. what a great foundation to lay for the people who then came on yes. to really get to hear from the composers and yeah. the Yeah, so all the music the, was the always
1: you know, it was always Benge and Justin at the piano mm-hmm. the first time I heard it, the first time we would do these readings in Stacy Minich's office mm-hmm. with the three of us, and Stacy, uh, eventually Michael Greif, Wendy or Shan. So you we would, would read, You would parts. read the whole thing. Yeah, and Justin would usually. Michael sing. was
0: a wonderful Heidi. Yes.
1: No, I, you know what? Stacy was always <laughs> Stacey Heidi. Stacy was Heidi. Um, I forget who Michael was.
0: Jared. I was, I was
1: often Jared, <laughs> um, and Alana, because I felt like I know how they're supposed to sound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was. Yeah, it was really. I mean, it didn't feel special at the time. It it's really hard to make a musical, and it takes so much longer than you think it's going to.
0: But I would imagine that when Michael Greif is brought into yeah. the process, that it becomes very real for you yes, guys. He's totally. not twenty six yes. years old. Yeah. He directed Rent. Yes. If you had seen nothing else that he had done of his huge body of work, yeah. you know, like, oh, this is. Very real,
1: yeah. No, and for me, Rent was that show, and, and for I think for all three of us, that was the show that we grew for up all on. You know, yes, that it's was like that was if our. If you are
0: of a certain age, yes. that can be a musical. Totally. What? Yes. Like, so that what?
1: was the show that really, yeah, made me want to do theater, or, right. or made it kind of at that age. I think I was thirteen. It really confirmed my love of theater.
0: Yes. Um, and everyone wanted to be in it. Like, yes, yeah, like there yeah, are yeah. a few people who are like, I want to write something like yes. that. but when you're that age, it's oh, like yeah. I know every word to every song. Yeah, and and do I, I want to wanna... be
1: Roger? Do I want to yeah. be Mark? <laughs> yeah, sort of. Yeah, exactly.
0: Were you a theater nerd? Yes,
1: yes, that I was. was your I think world. That's fair to say. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so, were you also an athlete?
1: No, no, I was always really bad at sports. Um, and finding theater was like, oh, this, this, I finally found my thing. Hmm. Um. And so I did. Uh, I did Pippin in high school. I did Into the Woods.
0: Were you the star of your high school shows? I
1: was actually the best. I was, which is so crazy, <laughs> freaking best. Um, yeah. So I was in. I was Pippin, which we talk about a lot now. You know, in the writers' room, because mm-hmm. we did this. Uh, I, I, you're just... like
0: guys. I know I'm the showrunner, and you have to yeah, listen exactly. to Yeah, exactly. But can I just tell you something? This is for me. Yeah, this exactly. This is my life.
1: Well, I remembered. It suddenly came back to me. I had completely. Blocked this out, I guess, there was this really high concept in our Pippin production, which was brilliant. <laughs> which high school was this? It was St. Andrew's Episcopal School in Maryland. So um, the
0: Levinsons went to yes, the Episcopal Yes. School.
1: Long story. Okay. That's another <laughs> podcast.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a religion podcast yes, on the hall. Yes,
1: totally. But so in this production, Pippin, the whole idea was that Pippin was just somebody in the audience that they found.
0: I love that. Which
1: is cool. But like, So I was in the audience when the show started. But everybody knew I was in the show. You're in the high school, so it's like so. So people kept coming up to me for the you know four performances we did, and they were like, "Aren't you in this?" Were and I, in every posture? time I would have to go, "Well, see, I I was in a costume, but I I'm sh- I was dressed normally, <laughs> but I'm sure I had like you know high school stage makeup on, and they would say, "Aren't you in this?" And I would every t- I go, "No, what are you talking about?" And it was so. It's so horrible now to remember that.
0: Please promise me that somewhere, <laughs> it—I don't care if it's in, on an eight-track yes. or a beta or something. There but must, yeah, there is actual documentation is and somewhere. video, and I feel we must unearth it <laughs> because the world needs to see well, it.
1: Well, yeah, we can't let it end here. My <laughs> mom just... found uh, the tape of I did chess. The musical in, at the JCC Theater Summer Camp.
0: Not the Episcopalian. No,
1: no. Summers were Jewish. <laughs> the ECC. <laughs> um, yes. Right. So anyway, um, I, yeah. So I, I've i loved musicals forever. Yeah. And it, it was really exciting to work. I mean, the weird thing about a musical that I I, I remember having this feeling so distinctly in D.C. when we were.
0: Mm-hmm. When from, Dear Evan Hansen yeah, was first Yeah, when we had there. our
1: first, was watching the show from the um the balcony i think this was dc it must have been and um hearing one of the songs and feeling like it's like everything you do as a book writer is in service of that music hmm. and even as an audience member the music is what stays with me um and there's like kind of a sadness about that or like a
0: well for one's like, ego i mean look in this case you want a tony <laughs> so every once in a while, even though it's a musical yes. well, not every once in a while, every year one yes, person year. who wrote the speaking yes. part yeah, yeah, yeah. in a musical gets an award. Yeah. And that year it was you. Yeah. Which I can only imagine you like you probably remember some of the night, I not do. all of it. <laughs> like it's so heady and yeah, crazy. It was crazy. Were you expecting that?
1: No. No, everything about this show has been unexpected. Mm-hmm. Uh it's so hard to rewind the tape and um, and just, you know, when we started working on it, even in that first meeting, we talked about it as this dark chamber musical that we were writing. Mm. And our real hope was to get it done at a place like Clarets Horizon. What did or, you
0: think it would be like when you say a dark chamber? Like, what were the other musicals you would use as templates? We talked or... about Spring Awakening.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other... You know, we didn't talk about Fun Home because it didn't exist, right. but that was but sort of could. in our head. Uh-huh. That was the kind of show it was, uh-huh. was a really like a small little musical or even those musicals at Playwrights Horizons from, I think, the 90s, like Floyd Collins mm-hmm. um, or something like Violet. You know, we we just thought it would be this this weird musical that people that some people would really love, but certainly not a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, even when we told Stacy for the first time what we were what we wanted to write about, it was like, it's going to be about a, a 16 year or 17-year-old who uh, lies about another student's death. And it's going to be funny? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just like, it was like, so it's about a She's kid. like, let me get my check. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, student. <laughs> exactly. It's about a young person. It's about a liar. And it's about suicide. And it's like, that doesn't sound particularly commercial. Right. And for many, many years, it was this... It thing wasn't. thing that people would say, well, what is the show you're yeah. working on? What is it about? And I would tell them and I would just feel their eyes glaze over. Or
0: So were you encouraged? I have two questions. Mm-hmm. One, because of that and because she's a businesswoman yeah. and is allowed to make money, yeah. um, although she's such a generous, yes, generous totally. producer. Was there uh, pressure when you would say that as your pitch to go, that's amazing. Is there also some way we could make it more accessible to the masses. I think, and can you write toward that? Uh,
1: honestly, the the amazing thing about Stacey is she never battered mm-hmm. an eyelash, Right. You know, she just said, great. Let you write your yeah. show.
0: So the opening monologue or so much, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's one person who hasn't seen the show or even <laughs> seen bits of it on YouTube. Um, and the beauty of tours is now you yeah. don't have to come to New York yeah, to yeah, yeah. see it. And I've understood that, you know, David Corns was here. I've yeah. had a lot of people associated that the integrity of that Broadway production is really yeah. being preserved magnificently. Yeah. No one's kind of being cheap about making yeah, it totally, look totally. beautiful yes. like that. Absolutely. The, I guess one thing is um, the letters. Dear Evan, Dear Evan Hansen today is going mm-hmm, to be. Mm-hmm. Was that based on some, an exercise that you got? Did you make that up? Or did someone, you know, say, God, when I was a kid, I used to have to write I these letters. I made that up.
1: And what's funny. You is you know people are yeah, doing that all I the I know. No, I made that up. And for a long time, I knew, we knew pretty early on We we came up with this idea of a letter to himself mm-hmm. that would be mistaken. That seemed like an interesting idea for a really long time. Like, Weeks before we were in DC, yeah, it was a um, it was a college essay that he was writing. That was write a letter to your future self, got it, in which you tell yourself about yourself. And we realized as we were leading up to this production that it needed to be more emotional than just a college essay, and that that's when we came up with this idea of um, uh, an assignment from his therapist. He mm-hmm. was already in therapy, and mm-hmm. just we sort of connected those dots. And I think before that, I don't think it it was today is going to be a great day. That was done, sometimes the most consequential decisions you make are the ones you make in haste at the very last minute. you like, throw this in tonight and see if this works. Exactly, And I think Benjamin and Justin would say the same about their songwriting process. Like, some of the most amazing songs in that show were the ones they wrote at the very last minute under pressure, you know, like, we need the song, so here it is. God. Yeah. That's
0: so incredible. There's something about,
1: you know, having the gun to your head, as it were, that that makes you... You just, you can't, you you can't overthink it, you know?
0: I can't believe I'm sitting across from, like, the head that <laughs> all of this came out of, because Aww. it's so, um... Listen, you know, it's interesting, because depending on your age and what your life experience is, like, I think I've seen it four times. I saw it a lot. Oh well. I saw it at Second Stage. I saw Amazing. it a few times on Broadway. And I would say by the third time... I developed this technique of shoving my nails into my arm and not looking. <laughs> for me, it's the Heidi, right? Oh, yeah. Like for the sure. song, you know. Yeah, yeah, Like yeah. everyone, I was like, okay, I can't, totally. we're going to see Ben. I can't once yeah. again afterwards look yeah. like I have just been in a car That's accident. That's the song,
1: actually, So Big, So Small was a yeah. song that was written really fast. Like that song was written uh, because I remember uh, we were in a room and we were talking about. We're missing. There wasn't a song there. We mm-hmm. we knew that we were missing a song, and so I wrote a monologue. Um, that about was basically that story, right? And they had a few hours to figure out how to make it a song. You know, it was like one of those insane things that just.
0: Are there some of your words in their songs?
1: Yeah, that's one of the. I mean, I think that's that's a weird, it's sort cool of thing about in that way. Yeah, and that I think that's why one of the reasons that that we found it. Easy to work together is that we just sort of stole from one another, mm-hmm. um, with and love. yes, with love and affection, and with you know, at a certain point, you kind of all have to be thinking the same way and with the same mind, or what you see on stage is going to feel like three different shows, you mm-hmm. know. So at a certain point, that happens. It's very strange how that happens, and that does feel sort of magical in a way.
0: Well. I guess I'm one of the few lucky people on the planet who get to say thank you. (laughs)
1: Thank Thank you for
0: writing it. It's beautiful. It will last forever. It will be, you know, the anthem, the way Rent is for us for many generations to come, which is so extraordinary. I can't say goodbye to you without... I need to talk about Days of Rage quickly. It's certainly a play that will have so much life because it's for young people and it can be done all over the world and in colleges. It's like it's the perfect setup. You have the this really great ability to write from a younger person's perspective. And I think what's so special about Days of Rage, which focuses on protests in Chicago in the 60s, um, for those of you who don't get to those of you, for those of you who don't get to see, yous. Yous <laughs> get to see it, you get to look at it online. Um, what I loved about Days of Rage so much, and almost as a response to Dear Evan Hansen, is whether or not The people at the center of this play accomplish what they set out to accomplish, which is young people, college age, wanting to change the world at a time where the people in charge are making terrible mistakes that have great impact on all of our futures to this day, Mm -hmm, actually, mm -hmm. is that they become activists. Mm -hmm, Some mm -hmm. of them for the right reasons. and I mean, maybe there's no way to describe why, what the right or wrong reason is. Everyone is looking to fulfill a need. Yeah. And it's all very active. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I think in what was really exciting, and to bring my daughter to it, who's 15, Mm -hmm. it was really thrilling to see how much you can do for something you care about. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. in in Dear Evan Hansen, there are a lot of people who are the victims of circumstances beyond their control. And it was very thrilling to see these young people going, we are not going to sit here and let stuff happen to us without being impactful in some right, way right, or right. making an attempt. Is this a play that you'd had around for a long time that that, that you took yeah. out of a drawer and, and, and reworked for today? It is, yeah. Or... Yeah.
1: It's a play that I started writing long before D. Hansen. It's something I wrote I started writing in two thousand nine.
0: And on assignment with someone, no, give it, right? Or, or it, from... you know what? I guess
1: I had a few commissions at the mm-hmm. time, and so I think I, I had <laughs> it in my head. What you like? Yes, well,
0: yes, he's working yes, for the on BBC. The <laughs> um,
1: yeah, no, so I. Uh, but I knew for a long. I, I just was fascinated by this period, and I was fascinated by uh, these groups and these people. And when I started to work on it and think about it, it was in the wake of Obama's first election. Mm. Um, so, Which was very good news. Yes, very good news. And what it was really – what I was most interested in at that time as I started writing it was how – both how far we had come and and also, you know, what we were talking about in 2009 in terms of change you can believe in and change – you know, we were going to ch- – Obama was going to change the the world really was what we were talking about. But the change was, was granular and sort of gradual and – um And reform minded. And in 1968, 1969, the the change they were talking about was systemic and revolutionary and overnight. And I felt like those were two very different visions of Mm -hmm. change. Mm -hmm. Um, And and this seems so foreign and so exotic. Mm -hmm. And so uh, how did we get from there to here? And in a way, how did our goals and desires become so modest today? Yeah, today.
0: Well, in the wake of Parkland, right, and and all of the news events, devastating news events that have happened since you started mm-hmm, mm-hmm. originally working on this play, you can't, but feel great wonder at how timely, yeah, it is. And well, and that's
1: why the play. What 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 ended up happening was last spring, Carol Rothman uh-huh. at Second Stage, circling back to Carol, yeah, circling yeah. back to Carol, uh, wrote me. I think this was. This was in the wake of the Parkland um, shooting and then the subsequent activism of those students. And right. said, I've been thinking about that play of yours. Um, it suddenly feels so, so relevant. relevant. Yeah. Would really you be interested that. in revisiting it? Yeah. And I, I, this play was always... There are some plays that you just you struggle over and you fight with. And they just never... They never happen. Um And this was one of those plays that I just, I had spent so many years agonizing over this play. And so I said yes, because I just, I really felt like I I wanted this play to have a life.
0: Well, I felt like your design, the design is incredible. Mm -hmm. Trip Coleman is just a a director that, you know... Everyone's going to know who he is. Absolutely. Um, and if they don't already, yeah. I, I guess I just want to ask you with all that you have behind you, all that you're working on now, all that's ahead of you. And I know you have a little <laughs> daughter. Yes. Um, and it's a lot of plates to spin yeah. at once. Do you feel successful? <laughs> Are uh, you allowed to feel successful? I don't
1: know. I know. I guess is the, I, I mean, Yes, of course. I feel I feel incredibly fortunate and incredibly grateful for for being able to do this as my job. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that was all I ever really wanted Mm -hmm. um, was was to be able to do this and not temp at the same time. Um, But I never feel I never feel settled. I never feel um, it's a hard thing. I mean, it's a it's a really hard thing to, to feel that way. I mean, I think some people do. I think I think I've 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 met people. Who feel really secure in what they do and and feel like, you know, I know who I am and I know the work I make and that that's what it is. And but I've never been that person. You know, there's there's a I'm always searching, I'm always kind of looking to the next thing for better or worse. Um, and you know, wanting to get it right. I mean, that's one of the maddening but incredible things about dramatic writing, I think, mm-hmm. compared to novel writing, mm-hmm. where when you write a novel, it gets published and it's out in the world and it's done. Like a play is never really done. Mm-hmm. Um, even a piece of film or television. But even
0: like a play that is frozen, as yeah. it were, and now that script of Dear yes, and right. goes out everywhere yes. as that published script. It still it is... feels
1: like, you know... Well, you know what it feels like, and maybe novels feel this way too. I've never. Well, you do one, have so. a dear
0: Evan Hansen novel as yes, well. Yes, we do. We do. Speaking of which, um, yeah,
1: there's always this pencils down moment, you right. know, where
0: oh, I just got so anxious when you <laughs> said that. I know that feeling. And it's
1: and in a way, it's a great gift mm-hmm. because you know I really felt that this time with Days of Rage. There was, I just felt like, oh, I'm gonna keep rewriting this forever. Right, but unless, I need to unless lock they it. Stop it and, me. Yeah. Um, and they did, yeah. thankfully. You know, there comes a point where it's like you need to give us. Grip to the press office um and
0: people are coming to see yeah, it. yeah people are
1: coming to see it uh and the actors need to know what they're yeah. gonna say uh but yeah there's that feeling i think there's something about that that's like both agonizing and also energizing that it can always you know i i know that that was something that paula always said is every production of how i learned to drive or baltimore waltz or these incredible plays mm-hmm. of hers when she had the opportunity she would go back
0: and, and she always
1: wanted to rewrite things. Uh-huh. And um, she would. And she would, you know, always. That's incredible. It's just impossible. And then I finally, actually, speaking of novelists, I read this essay by Zadie Smith about um, novelists. It, it was about, I, I forget exactly the, the purpose, but there was an image in this essay of all of these novelists backstage at an event, at a reading, and they're all furiously scribbling in their published novels, like, you know, making marks and before they go to read them because they have to change the horrible writing in there. incredible. You know, so it's like... Yeah. I think that might just be a, a professional hazard.
0: Well, maybe if you ever feel doubt, you can just... Do you keep your Tony anywhere nearby?
1: Uh, we keep it high up so great. that... Um, so the baby Ashton can't... Br- can't yes. Right.
0: Maybe just once in a while you can bring it down yeah, and put it on true. your desk and just go, you know what? It's not that it's not hard, yeah. but a lot of people believe in me. Well, the
1: great gift, I will say, about writing musicals and writing... TV in particular, mm. and and plays to some extent, but less so, is the collaboration.
0: Yeah, you're not alone. And that
1: you're not alone and that you're sharing, like, I watched Dear Evan Hansen and, and parts of it are me and parts of it are Benj and parts of it are Justin and parts of it are the actors and, you know, like, it's, there, there's a great comfort in that, so knowing that it's it's both totally mine and totally not mine at yep. the same time.
0: Yep, which is, there's a lot of humility
1: yeah, in that absolutely. process, too. absolutely, absolutely.
0: Well... Stephen Levinson, I just am really glad you're on the planet. Oh, thank and, you. And uh, I, I wish you continued success. Thank you so much. And this has been an extraordinary opportunity to oh, get you. to I'm know so you glad more. To be here. Yes, I hope you'll come back again. Oh, absolutely. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for listening. Do you know there are over 120 episodes of Little Known Facts with Alana Levine at this point? So if you love this one, but you're a new listener, go back to the beginning and catch up. I promise you every episode will shed a light on an artist that inspires you in a whole new way. It is such a pleasure to make this podcast for you. And I hope if you love listening as much as I love making it, that you'll head over to my website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. There's a donation page. And truly, any donation, large or small, makes such a huge impact on my being able to make over a 100 more episodes for you guys. So I really, really appreciate it. I record this podcast at The Hanger Studios in New York City. If you ever are interested in making your own podcast or any kind of recording, go to thehangerstudios.com and get more information on how they make the magic happen. Thanks for listening.